Welcome back to The Back Pain Podcast, episode 76, a patient story, how I recovered from sciatica. Let's go. Welcome to The Back Pain Podcast with Rob and Dave, the only show geared specifically to help educate you about your back pain. We talk to the experts to bust the myths, break down the science, and give you all the top tips for living pain-free. So, if you're driving to work, tidy in the house, or even laid up at home in pain, we have something for everyone. Okay, we've got a patient story with a difference today, guys. We have Mr. Paul Babai, patient, and his practitioner, <coughs> Dr. Oliver Thompson, osteopath. The two are on to talk about their personal experiences, how Paul went through care, discovered Dr. T or Oliver, as we also know him, um, <coughs> and the effects that he had in the change in his care, and of course, the resulting outcomes. Paul, the patient, has a fantastic outlook on pain, on life, and on um, recovery in general. A real, real good list. And for anyone who out there who is suffering, knows anyone who's suffering, mindset is key. Some key tidbits to take away, as always, for any practitioners listening as well. We wouldn't leave you guys in the dark. As always, guys, head over to thebackpainpodcast.com. Check out our amazing provider map. It's starting to fill with great providers, clinicians, practitioners, consultants from across the UK. As always, keep your messages coming in. We do enjoy answering them um, and we do get back to you as soon as possible. Right, guys, without further ado, episode 76, Dr. Oliver Thompson, Paul Babai, a patient story, how I recovered from sciatica. And welcome back to the Back Pain Podcast. I'm delighted to be joined today by Ollie Thompson, osteopath, and one of his patients, Paul Babai, who is going to fill us in all about his story and his journey with back pain over the last few years. So, chaps, thank you so much for joining us this afternoon on the Back Pain Podcast. Thanks for having us. Wonderful. So we'll jump straight into it. Paul, what we'd like to do is start with your story about your back pain. So can you tell us kind of in your own words how this back pain started and then how that kind of progressed over the coming you know, days, weeks, months and initial years before you uh, got to the point where you are now? Sure. So, I mean, literally out of the blue, one day I woke up and couldn't feel the right side of my leg. Um, and it was literally as quick as that. I tried to get out of bed. I couldn't, I had pins and needles down my leg. Um, no real pain in my back as such, just no strength on my, if I, so, so I tried to get my tiptoe, my right tiptoe, I couldn't do it. And obviously this alarmed me. I was walking with a limp and went straight to the physio thinking nothing of it. Maybe I had pulled it playing football or something. And as soon as I walked in, she was like, yeah, I think you've slipped your disc. And I was like, uh, 28 years old. There's no way I have. I've never had back issues before. And she was like, yeah, I think you have. Um, so I went for an MRI and it turned out that I had slipped my L5. Um, and the clinician, the specialist said, I think we actually need to operate on your back because a piece of the disc is clearly um, trapping, blocking a nerve, which is causing your right leg to go numb and have no strength. Um, and we suggest you do it quickly because the longer you leave the nerve damage, potentially the longer uh, term effects could be caused. And I got a second opinion. It was exactly the same. And literally a week later, I was under the knife having back surgery, which to me at the time, when you, when you heard that, I was like devastated um, mm. to think I'm a fit young guy having to have an operation in the span of being fine to a week. So yeah, that was the story. So then literally seven days after the, it started, you were anesthetized in hospital, having it operated on. Pretty much. Yeah. And what were your, what was your pain level like? Because obviously you had the weakness and the pins and needles. Were you actually in a lot of pain and discomfort at that point? I, I honestly, it was more of an aggravation. It was like a pain. <laughs> excuse the pun, a pain in the ass, And I'm not sure if I'm allowed to say that actually, but yeah, it was. It was feel free, swear away, mate. It was a pain in the bum. And um, 
I, and, and the, it was the annoying limp that I couldn't walk properly. And it literally had no strength in my toe. So if I tried to get up, it was nothing there. So it was more of an annoyance and just an aggravation than anything else, being honest. Yeah. And so what did you think the issue was before they told you it was a disc issue? I thought I'd, I don't think I used to stretch my glutes much. So I just thought, oh, I should have stretched my glute before football the other day. Yeah. Uh, in fact, it was the day before. And I didn't stretch my glute and I thought perhaps that's what it is. I just needed a good iron out from the physio and everything would be fine. That's amazing. So it must have come as a bit of a surprise then when they said, actually, this, there's, there's something causing this that, you know, that might need an operation. Did it, it must have hit you like a sack of potatoes, really. <laughs> well, it did. And it's, you know, I was always growing up hearing, you know, if you have a back operation, I mean, it's game over. I mean, you can't do anything after that. You know, you're never going to be the same. You can't grow old and be sporty or, or you know, run around with the kids. And, and that, for me, it was more of a mental side of it, being that young, being like, is this really happening now? Yeah. And am I really having a back operation? I was telling people, and they're like, are you joking? So yeah. it, was, it was really, it was hard to take, actually. Less so about the pain, more so about the mental side of it. And then that's and that's one of the reasons we wanted to talk to you as well because those those beliefs that you had were before you had any back issues. So this was kind of what your thoughts were about back pain, spinal surgery, all those things, which you know existed in your you know in your mind before you even had a back problem, before you even went under the knife. So these are just they're infiltrated through society. These kind of misconceptions a lot of the time, and it leads to you know as I said cases like yours, people who are then terrified of of moving their backs and back pain because of you know they think they're going to have it for life which is as i said why we wanted to talk to you today really to iron out some of these uh some of of these misconceptions how how was the recovery then so kind of after you had the op you know what was it like over the next coming coming weeks and months so i was asking the uh the the doctor that did i said how am i going to feel straight away and he said it should be as soon as we do it you can start feeling your leg again and so that was quite exciting. And then literally I woke up and I'm like, oh, it's, it's gone. <laughs> it's that numbness had gone. I could wiggle my toes. I could feel it. And I was quite sore and sensitive uh, in my core and kind of around my, my hips and my, uh, the side of my back. Um, Cause the pain was only on one side of, of the back. It was just to the right side and everything felt obviously sensitive because after an operation it would but a little bit like okay i'm i'm pleased with the outcome because straight away i've got the leg back and that was the biggest thing for me um and then shall i go on i've got i don't know how yeah yeah. Yeah. so yeah after that it was an element of physio um personally physio it didn't really work for me and the reason being is you'd go a couple of times to see somebody but actually, the hard work is during that period when you're not seeing the physio. So actually, it's the sheet of paper that they give you to do the exercises. And I don't know about your listeners or, or anyone else, but I find to be disciplined and to do exercise, I have to be with somebody or you know, I have to be held accountable to it. I'm not going to get the sheet and right, start doing that, especially at that age. When I get maybe as I'm older now, I'd probably do it. But, but then it was like, oh, it will be fine. So I didn't really do a lot of recovery physio and maybe a year, I, I was not playing football or anything like that, but maybe, and I wasn't fit actually, I was just not doing much if I'm honest, but I was pain-free. But a year after and after that, the month went on, it, it got really bad. Um, I got really bad. It was, and was, was it the same pain that you had before, but then it kind of extrapolated into just the a worse version of it? So, so that, so I was super nervous about my leg becoming numb again, which it didn't, but I was always thinking about it. What happened was, is that right side was just every day, every minute, excruciating pain. Uh, I just, just was living with kind of chronic, you hear these people about chronic pain and actually you bore people. I mean, so it's all I could talk about. I mean, it's just became who I was. And so, mm. you know, people look at me, oh, you're stretching again. What's wrong with this? It, it annoyed me. It did. And it was like, this, is this what I've become? That guy that, everyone, you know, just moaning about his back all the time. Um, just became part of who I was. Yeah. It's pretty grim. That's actually really fascinating you said that because we've spoken before about how 
especially with you know we call you know persistent pain or chronic pain you know, when you're in pain for a long time it does become part of your identity and then that can really start to then drag you down physically and mentally because as you said you know, people don't want to hear about this again I'm boring them with that or I don't want to be a drain to these people my family my loved ones and as I said it becomes part of your identity and back pain has that effect more so than other people more, more so than other injuries you know you very rarely hear people with you know long-term ankle pain these things do happen but you know it's in the back pain world it's much larger and people think they're being a hindrance much more than when they have you know other other issues you know if you tore your hamstring tomorrow you know you don't get many people really worried that they're going to have a huge impact on their long-term you know family's livelihood and things yeah and i think it's because it it, well, it, everything comes from your back. You know, if you've got a strong back, it's like you're strong. And it's if the back's weak or the back's in pain, you know, that, then you think, oh, my God, you know, everything's going wrong and I can't do anything. You know, you've got a bad hip, maybe you could do some shoulder press or whatever, but it's like your back's <laughs> wrong. You know, you think at the time you can't do anything, which yeah. now I know, and we'll get on, I guess, to, to the future in a second, but it's the worst thing you can do. So I was doing a lot of lying down, a lot of nothing, you know, sitting was painful. So a lot of lying down, yeah. um, uh, you know, constant stretching. And like you, you referred to it a minute ago about, you know, the mental side, it, that it drained me. It's like constantly feeling it every day. It was a real mental challenge. Um, so and it's then, like so what- both. So what were your beliefs then? That Do you think it had, it had happened again? Your disc had slipped again? What was going mm. through your mind at this point? Obviously, because you've had a surgery and, you know, from your yes. perspective, it, it had been fixed once. What happened uh, the second time? Well, no, because I thought ever since then I had a weakness. So, like, it was like, right, you had the operation, but now you've had a – you've you're weak. Your back is weak. Yeah. And how I developed that was the pain itself, but also going to see – plenty of people physios and I used to go to physio and be like, Oh, maybe they'll just do it this time. This one movement and everything will click and it will be fixed. You know, that, that's how I, it was about just, if I just I get a massage or if I just do that stretch, I'll feel something go in and then I'm like, I'm cured. Right. And I was, that yeah. was like praying for that quick fix magic fix. That just, exactly. That would just stop it all. But there was obviously <laughs> yeah. nothing. So, so yeah, it was, um, did anyone tell you that you would you could have expected a magic fix? So did anyone tell you that this this is all you need and it'll be fine? Or was this your own beliefs that kind of perpetuated that? Mm. No, I thought that was it, that was just me. It, because mm. because it just felt like it something wasn't quite right. And that was what yeah. I kept telling myself. I'm not quite right. You know, all the physios when I went to see them say you have this weakness or your core isn't strong, so it's not supporting you, or you know, you need to do these exercises and and, you know, so I, it, it just felt like there was something fundamentally wrong with my back that I probably wouldn't ever be able to get through. So then enter, you know, Dr. Ollie Thompson, osteopath, <laughs> who we also have, uh, also have on this chat as well. Yeah. How long before you went to visit him? I think it was years. I think maybe three Three, four years. I mean, it was that, that long that I was dealing with it. Um, and you were in pain that whole time, pretty much? I think a year after the uh, op um, was when it really started to go downhill and it was like three years of constant mm. pain. Um, and I, I tried everything well, I thought I had and just gone to see lots of different people and massages and stretches. And, and it got to a point, I think that the low point was I was at dinner and I used to have to leave the table and lie down on the, in the living room where everyone was yeah. eating. I just like, and I got quite emotional because it's like, it's just how it's always going to be. And this is, I can't live like this. Yeah. And then I try and pick my niece up and I couldn't pick her up and then be at the end of my bed trying to put my socks on. And I just couldn't, I couldn't put my sock on. I was like in the early thirties thinking, this is just, this is just grim. I can't live like this. this. No life. So, so then I, I luckily found Ollie. Um, and as soon as I went in, he really annoyed me actually in the beginning. He doesn't know this. <laughs> but he I walked in and he just, he was almost like, didn't want to touch me. <laughs> that sounds weird, but it's like you go somewhere and everywhere I'd been, it was all about massaging and stretching and tweaking. And, and it's like, he just, He's like, sit down. I'm like, 
Okay. And he's like, tell me about the plane. He's like, talking about it. He's like, right. And then he's like, still talking. I'm like, what's this guy doing? I mean, he's meant to be, <laughs> he's meant to actually do something to me. I'm surely, you know, and uh, kept talking. And then kind of towards the end, really, he was like, okay, stand up and touch your toes. And I'm like, what? I'm going to, I'm going to snap. I like, I could, I haven't bent like that in years. Like, no, no, just try and try and touch your toes. And don't do it, you know, dramatically or quickly, but I just want to see, you know, how far in your movement. So I can honestly say it's probably the first time I've done that movement um, where you're actually going to touch your, you know, bending down, try and keep your legs straight, touch your toes. And it was like, okay, slowly. And I, I didn't do great, but I, I immediately proved to myself that I could do it more than I thought I could do it. And always before I'd kind of lent in a weird position uh, to try and get low. And then I lied on the bed and, and he did some, I guess, functional movements to just see if there was actually anything, you know, physically wrong with my back. Um, was there anything out of place? Was there, uh, I don't know, a small fracture or whatever it was he did. He did some movements on me and then we sat down right at the end. I'll never forget this. And he just looked at me and said, Paul, there is nothing wrong with your back. Okay. You have to get that into your head. Okay, there's nothing wrong with your back. So then so for him saying, yeah, so shocked. So he said, there's nothing wrong with your back. And you've been told for four and a half years, give or take, that you have a problem with your back. So that must have been a massive mind shift change instantly, basically. It was. And I, I, it was almost hard to take. And it was almost like, I'm not sure I'd leave him. And, and look, to be quite clear, this is just my experience. Okay. Some people that have pain, they have something wrong with their back. And it wasn't that there was, I was faking it or making it up, but it was clear to what he said is, look, there isn't anything structured. There might be reasons and causes for the pain. But actually, the back itself seems sturdy, seems strong. There's work to do. But fundamentally, you're okay, all right? You're going to be okay. And, and that was a massive thing for me, and it was quite a pivotal moment. That's fantastic. So I think we should probably then bring in Ollie, you know, the superstar, who's probably going to mm. get loads of patients off, off the back of this. As so, he should. Sorry, as he should, I know. I may, I may annoy them too, you never know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah good. It's always good to annoy someone. You're not, you're not, there, you're not there to please. So I think that's really interesting what Paul just said is kind of, you know, I'm guessing not quite verbatim, but pretty much what you said, that there's, there's nothing wrong with your back, but it's, it can still be painful. So that can be a little bit confusing for people who might be listening to, you know, who, like Paul, believe that pain equals damage and they think there's something structurally wrong when they, when they have a problem. So what, what, you know, why would it still hurt then? Is that, you know, it doesn't really quite make sense that it can be so painful and that there'd be nothing wrong. People often look to, they want a problem sometimes. I think in, in Paul's case, I mean, it was clear that you were in, in pain. Like there was a clear, exper an unpleasant experience there, which, which, which you had. So it wasn't the case that we were saying, or I was saying that, Paul, you're not in pain. There's no reason for you to be here. But certainly a lot of your fears and beliefs around that pain were that this is coming from something within my back, damaged or otherwise. And I'm kind of worried that I might make it worse or if I don't rest it, it'll just ne never heal. And so... So it was kind of communicating that was a, was the challenge to try and uh, so and obviously the, the surgery that you had was a successful surgery no doubt like it was a, a clear improvement in your kind of leg pain and kind of ridiculous kind of nerve type pain but what had, what had been left is a kind of a framework to understand future episodes of back pain that whenever you get back pain there's going to be some isolated bit of tissue part of your body which is going to which is potentially going to tear or break and needs needs fixing of some sort. So it's going to set you up for further episodes. And you probably don't remember, we saw each other. So we, we came to know each other because you were coming to, to the clinic, having lots of massage, I think, reasonably regularly, right? And I think one of the massage therapists said, oh, you know, one of my client, Paul, needs to see you. And I did see Paul and it didn't go especially well. I, didn't, I think I saw you once and did my a kind of annoying, not really touching thing. <laughs> and I don't think you came back or I think there was a, there was a lag time before you kind of possibly, and again, it was an issue my fault for not really engaging with Paul's kind of preferences and really what he was looking for, but maybe went a bit too talky, walkie talkie type, just, 
lecturing him about paint. And so he went off, but then subsequently came back a period of time later and, and, and was kind of much had a, was probably more ready to, to take some of these ideas on. That's probably why. Um, so then, yeah, so the examination was really just around to, to screen that there was no kind of clear red flags or clear kind of neurostructural stuff which might be causing Paul's pain. And then just trying to find out what he was really worried about. Like, what were you, this pain, which was, um, which one's unpleasant, but was causing Paul lots of distress, lots of kind of psychological distress that like was really worried about it. And I wanted to try to try to understand that, that what's the, not what's the big deal, but what's the driving thing here? What are you so scared of? What are you so worried about? And that's when we just started talking and, and, and it isn't necessarily a counseling session really, but there's some movement based stuff, which goes on where we're having mm. a chat. And I'm kind of doing some what would be described as manual therapy, maybe, um, but getting some feedback from Paul about, you know, how does this feel? What does this kind of mean to you when I put your hip in that position? And so you were trying mm. to build this, this kind of story, as we describe it, this kind of explanation about why he saw and why certain movements might hurt and why his pain might fluctuate. So, so it's not when, so when you're examining someone, I said, putting through some, you know, testing and some movements and some positions, all those things, isn't, you're not looking for a problem in terms of it's this joint it's this disc it's this nerve you've already ruled out all those sinister courses sinister issues it's more about what do these movements mean to you do they trigger pain do they trigger relief you know and actually what do they what do they mean to you exactly i mean exactly this is how i i would practice you know there are many colleagues of mine that would say no you've got to really pinpoint down the specific part of the back which is which they would feel would be responsible for, for Paul's complex pain experience. The more contemporary way of thinking is actually we can't be specific in terms of pinpointing this, the precise bit of the back, bone, ligament, muscle, etc. So rather, I use movement as a way to explore Paul's kind of fears and beliefs and threats, try to create some new perceptions. And so sometimes I you know push on Paul's back in a movement which he might. I might perceive him to think it's a bit scary. He might be worried about that. We do it carefully and it's kind of graded. And, and rather than saying, oh God, that's a bit out of place or that's a bit weak or you're a bit, you're a bit crooked there, we, we'd frame it with a much more positive language. Like that's really strong actually. And you were worried that you, you had, your core wasn't firing, for example, or your muscles were weak. They feel pretty strong to me. They feel like normal kind of muscles, you know, someone your age. And, and so it's just about providing different or positive optimistic explanations and which are also true so it's not like i'm just telling a great big white lie draped over some manual therapy there's certain there is truth um, around this stuff that paul has got a strong back and has got he's a 32 year old man that um that had a was was active as well so he was perfectly fit um so but just very sore and sensitive and then we just make the distinction we try and had discussion around the nature of pain and what pain is and it gets a bit weird isn't it and it goes up and down and those sorts of things so let's why don't we then jump in with kind of then how how the recovery went then for paul and kind of up to where you are now and then talk a little bit about those beliefs and about how they can impact pain so paul what what happened over the next coming next coming weeks and weeks and months then after your you know annoying session with with ollie <laughs> Well, just quickly, like Rob, you mentioned about having that belief that you just tweak something and it would get fixed. So when I first went to Wally, that's what I was hoping, again, looking for, because he didn't give it to me. It annoyed me, okay? And I hadn't gone back there. I think it was months, actually. Mm-hmm. So the reason I think that's relevant, the, not, the next time I came, I was ready to, 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 to hear it, that actually we need to work at this. This is not a quick fix. This is something I'm going to have to commit to. And it's like anything for you stop smoking or you, you know, go on a diet. It's like, you almost have to reach a limit where you're like, okay, this is my moment. And it's like, I'm either accepting this is kind of the way I'm going to feel or hold on. I'm not doing this. This is not my life. I'm going to change it. And if that was the moment that I was like, okay, I think Ollie's the guy having spoke to him, started to, re, you know, what he said, a lot of things were, were, you know, stayed with me. And that was the moment. So after that session, he suggested I actually team up, like create a team around me. And I was fortunate enough to meet a very good personal trainer um, called Pete Gaffney, a little plug there for him. And he, he, you know, was very much, 
looking at building me up slowly and doing movements that I'd not done before, strengthening um, my legs, a lot of leg work, um, you know, stuff that I'd just not really done before. And, and a lot of isolated kind of movements um, around the back. And, and just it was very slow, really slow. But he had combined that with the nutrition advice and, 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 and he has a team. So some would do yoga with me, some would do small weights with me, others would be about more movement. And at the same time, you know, constantly seeing Ollie. So it felt like I had a, I had a team that made me accountable, but also cared. And we're like, you're going to, you're going to be fine. In fact, you're probably going to be better than you were before. And, you know, that, and, and that was the moment that it started um, slowly it was slow um, to get better. Mm. And how long did it take? How long did it take? I think after six months, I was confident again. Uh, I was really positive. And the biggest, I think the biggest thing for me, one day I remember I, I walked past my bathroom door and I whacked, I was making really good progress, being really strong. And I whacked like right in the point that I had my injury on the doorknob. I, I whacked it into my side and it was excruciating. And it, it took me back and it was like panic. And a couple of days I felt the same pain that I had. And I was like on a wobble that, oh my God, I've just gone back to the beginning again. And as I realized a, a week, a few days after that, it gone, it gone again. And that I think again was the moment I realized you're not ever going to have no pain. <laughs> you know, you, that, that, that kind of feeling of I'm going to be perfect in throughout my body always is an illusion. And then it's interesting. And the minute I accepted it, it was like, okay, you're going to feel a niggle. You're going to have a, a, a little twinge here, but you'll get over it and it, and actually you'll be fine. And, it just—it's crazy transformation mentally about thinking about it differently and what it did to me, and then just not accepting that I'm going back to that place. Being quite, I was very focused, very you know this this was hard work, and it was one of the things I've worked hardest for and my most proud of in my life. Without sounding too dramatic, but it was—it was like <laughs> that—that's how important it was, and that's how focused I believe you have to be to get out of the situation. Well, being, <clears throat> that being said, Jack, with that in mind, do you feel like you are out now? If someone said, you know, do you have a good back? Do you have a bad back? Do you feel like you're finished? Is that, is that gone behind you? Or do you feel like it's always kind of there, but you have to maintain it? What are your thoughts on that? Mm. Um, I feel it's always at the back of my mind, but I put it, I leave it at the back without using that as a pun. I leave it at the back and it's like, look, yes, I've had this situation, but if I ever do feel it go, which I have had, and kind of now I'm feeling really fit and I'm training really hard and I'm doing weights that I've never thought I'd be able to do ever. I'm doing, you know, and I'm, I'm, I'm living, I'm going for it at the minute. And I had a little episode, but I knew I was going to get through it. And I was like, it's okay. It's not, it's just, you know, you're strong. And so my perception has definitely changed. It will never go. Okay. And I think I also accept that, that it will never go, but it's, mm. it's not ruling me now. I mean, do you get any, so that's the mentality side of it. Do you get any pain now? You know, do you get day to day pain or is it just when you have little aggravations or, or little setbacks like you mentioned? Yeah, I, I think I wouldn't call it pain anymore. I just call it living <laughs> imperfectly. Um, and I think everyone can relate to that. It's one day I get out of bed and I actually, and then my hamstring feels really tight. Okay. Just have a little stretch with it. Don't think anything too much of it. My shoulder, my neck, my back, everything. There's always something. So I, I try not to focus on it. And physically I accept I'm going to feel niggles, but I'm pain free in, in the hole. Oh. 
brilliant. And then is that it, it appears, and this is obviously why we wanted to talk to Ollie as well. It's that mindset shift, mindset shift as well, which you know seemed to really draw the line between kind of when you're in a lot of pain to, compared to your attitude afterwards. And that example of you bashing your bashing your bum or your hip or you know that your leg on the on the door handle, and rather than going into yes, you have a little bit of a mind panic, but you didn't revert straight into that you know you know pull of four years ago. It was more of the kind of oh well actually I understand that this is normal pain I haven't caused a lot of damage to it I'm not I haven't broken myself again it's just a bit of a flare-up you know and 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 that's fine and that mindset shift seems to have played a huge huge part in that recovery that's spot on that's exactly what it was in fact rather than then lying down it's like okay I'm going to go for a walk and I'm going to keep active and you know the worst thing I'd learned is not doing anything it's just to be still yeah. and I think mm. It is. It's a, and, and, and I genuinely, this is not, I have no reason to push this philosophy. Okay. It's not like I studied it or and I want to make that clear to everybody. Or, you know, this is just something that really worked. And it's not that it was all in my mind. It part was, you know, physical and pain, but it's just something that really worked for me. And, I, and if I can change that mentality for one person, because I know how I've been, then I need to shout about it. And, Brilliant. you know, Oliver knows about that, that, how I feel about telling people about it. It's not to, you know, say how great I was or how great I am, but it's actually to make people realize you can be that low and feel that in pain, but work hard, Brilliant. you know, you can come out of it. Well, well, th- well, thank you for talking to us about it. It's, it's brilliant. So, Ollie, you know, that, that shows the power of how your thoughts and your beliefs and your, the words which are used to describe pain can influence not only your pain, but then also your long-term recovery. So why why does this happen? Why are the words and our thoughts, how do they actually affect it? Because obviously, the, the, if it's a problem, it's there or not. You know, really, if you have pain, it's there or not. So how do your thoughts impact the outcome? So I think... I think first to say that it isn't just beliefs or just thoughts that, that kind of drive pain, that we know that it's multifactorial. And Paul, I, don't, I, I seem to remember around the time that even stuff in your kind of personal, social life, work life, you were going through a tricky time anyway. You haven't got to go into that, but there were some other factors. I could well, just nod if that was partly true. So, yeah. yeah. And so there, so there was just, and we didn't, I don't think we explored that when, when Paul was a patient, but it's to say that it isn't just thoughts. It isn't just beliefs. It isn't just social stuff it isn't just you know discs that it's this kind of constellation of of events and situations and factors which kind of which create someone's kind of pain experience situation but in terms of how beliefs and language seem to tie together well there's there's a loose connection in so much as our professions kind of musculoskeletal healthcare and medicine more broadly are pretty much are pretty much built on kind of anatomy and structure and bits of bodies and much of our language when we speak to patients like Paul is around that so we describe what's going on with patients backs to them often using anatomical words and discs and joints those sorts of words and we kind of know that back pain is more complex than that as I I just mentioned and we also know that overly kind of medicalizing back pain and giving it strong kind of anatomical connotations makes people more fearful they start to try to make sense of their back pain through anatomy and structure and that can change how people behave and how they cope um so it's it's a complex interaction but but in terms of the implications for for colleagues and practitioners it's really just a case of i say really just a case it's a case of paying a bit more attention to how you're communicating with your patient and perhaps withholding some of that anatomical jargon particularly if they're concerned or or worried or fearful and then just uh, as paul said just showing that you care i mean it sounds so simple but we can often get we often lose that um kind of therapeutic stance where we we're so keen to give a diagnosis and so keen to get our hands on and to stretch muscles and to poke joints that we don't always take the time to sit and listen and try and find out what, what's going on in this person's life and, and really what do they want so i didn't really answer your have question. you got any no, no, that was perfect. Um, have you got any favourite examples of that, Ollie? Uh, of you know that that over medicalised, very anatomical, sometimes mis, uh, um, sort of verbally misleading without meaning to kind of language that the patients report back. 
I mean, there's loads, isn't there? And like even Paul, we used one earlier on, you know, slip disc is a common one, whether it's, whether there's a, a frank prolapse or herniation as seen on a scan um, or patients just haven't had a scan, but they presume that their back pain's down to, because they hurt because their mum had a slip disc or their mates had a slip disc or there's some vicarious experience or exposure to the phenomenon of a slip disc. So that's what they've got. And so, and there's a whole load of, inaccuracies with using that terminology so you know asymmetrical pelvis pelvis is out of place you get some weird ones where the most resilient joint in the body the sacroiliac joint just seemingly twists and moves on its own accord and just you know slips up and down pops out. just <laughs> pops out yeah which just can't you know i can't say i'm not saying it never happens it might happen in a very small subset of the population but these things just don't really represent what's going on with people that are experiencing back pain but moreover it's kind of harmful. Like if you've got back pain and then someone tells you, well, actually your pain is due to a bone about to slip out of place or weak here or something slipped, then you're likely to behave and think quite differently about your pain. So this, there isn't this kind of mind body separation that actually what you think and believe about your back changes how you move and use muscles and bend the back or kind of utilize the body that has implications for how you, how you engage in those things. So so it's just trying to address in those thoughts through language. So it's the old De- Descartes. I uh, I think, therefore I am. Is is basically how it, kind of how it plays out. So it's it's not that these thoughts directly are causing pain. It's that kind of well, if you think you have a crumbling spine or your discs slipping in and out of place, and then someone saying, "Oh, let's do some deadlifts. Let's go for a walk. Let's pick up so pick up your shopping bag," and you've got that fear that something's going to pop in and out or something's going to crumble you then avoid doing it. And then you've got that fear avoidance behavior. You stop doing things that you enjoy doing or want to do. And then that is a bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy. It just kind of perpetuates that cycle. And you end up someone who, I said, like Paul, you know, sort of talking about you again, Paul, you then go and lying down rather than being active because, you know, you think that active activity might make it worse. So, okay, let's lie down because that doesn't hurt in that very moment. Lying down feels comfortable. And there's a lot of people listening to this, back pain patients who, who might be lying down listening to this thinking i'm in agony now lying down takes the pain away and it might do for that short period but we know that long-term rest and long-term lying down and not moving is associated with worse outcomes for back pain yeah and then there's the there's the reasons why people are lying down it's often underpinned by the belief that well i just need to stay still so the bits of tissue which are torn apart can kind of unite and heal together and it becomes a, a vicious circle that they end up with more pain and more kind of disability or more weakness and then they get more pain it kind of it spirals and kind of goes in a circle I just want to so say two things you... sorry can I just yeah, please, please do I remember a funny thing that uh, I, I almost had to retrain myself to do things normally <laughs> so you know picking something up off the floor I used to bend in a really weird way to protect mm-hmm. my back and it was like I had to retrain myself actually you don't normally pick something like that and all I used to go is pick you know do things normally you know uh, how you would always do things how anyone would do rather than that weird i'm doing a weird shape now you know that kind of arm <laughs> down um, and and also that thing you were talking about about slip disc it's so varied what a slip disc can mean but as soon as you say slip disc the mind goes straight to the worst case of what a slip disc could be and it's like you associate slip disc with something quite severe and in the older generation to hear that you've got one, whatever it is, whatever your case mm-hmm. of a slip disc is, isn't relevant. It's that you've slipped your disc and it's like, boom. Yeah. It's a real yeah. unhelpful such, label, yeah. isn't it? And it's an umbrella term, you know, it's like saying sciatica, you know, it doesn't, there are, it doesn't really mean anything. You know, you might as well say headache, you know, it, it doesn't, it's kind of, it is a, a colloquial term that we use. But as he said, you know, even when practitioners are using it and, you know, I've probably used that in the past as well. I, I you know, since doing the podcast and learning a lot more, I, I don't. But the, that term, you know, when, when someone uses it, we know it's not slipping. You know, practitioners who will be using it now know that that disc isn't slipping in out of place, but they're using it because it's convenient and because it's in our vocab, most patients generally understand the rough concepts of it, however bad the implications are that, it, that go along with it. I think that bleeds over into, so yeah, the, the way that practitioners, uh, medical professionals and you know, lay people are describing it as a slip disc, therefore it can slip out, right? Um, 
goes the same with treatments as well. So if we say to people, like we said earlier about the, the SI joint going out of place, popping out, you know, it just has to pop it back in. It can be an easy win sometimes for a practitioner to say, we're going to realign you, you know, we're just going to pop that back into place. We're going to move that where it needs to be. But of course, by saying, I'm simply going to pop this into place, the, the reverse is occurring to that patient perhaps. That could pop back out of place, you know, with, with such a simple movement, if that's put into place, that could come out of place again with a sneeze, a cough, a lift, a twist. When of course it was never out or in, in the first place, it's always been in place and we've just worked on the tissue surrounding. But because that's a harder thing to explain, I think that gets skipped. And that knock on effect, like Rob said, that trickle down effect, or all he said, um, or both, uh, actually does have connotations further down the line. So it's not just what we, what we directly talk to people. We could go through the, the absolute minutiae of discs don't slip. But then if we say, right, I'm going to, pop this joint back into place we've we've fucked that all you know we've undone that and actually if it can pop in it can pop out um we've got to be so careful on on both ends of how we deliver this info flippancy it does equate to negligence when you pass it down the line long enough i think just on on that note it's it's how therapists practitioners communicate their treatments as you said so whether it's exercise is stabilizing the spine which really implies to the patient well there's some inherent weakness there as paul was saying around core stability and therapists saying you've got to do this and or the manual therapy the clicking stuff and and so these things are both untrue in in accordance to the, the research that we have but also they're not helpful in terms of the sorts of frameworks or ways that patients come to understand their their pain that that it you might get some short-term benefit from those treatments but future episodes they'll associate you know, frailty, slip, slippage, um, all those kind of things with future episodes, which means they can't, they're not, they're less resilient or less able to, to kind of self-manage and have, are not empowered to self-manage. So, so I think as a call to the professions is to really tone down the, the, the nocebic language, the language which we use to communicate manual therapy or exercise therapy, which is both untrue and unhelpful. So, so what, what was interesting for me was really, Ollie, when I came to see you, you really didn't want to see me a lot. <laughs> I know that sounds funny and weird, but it almost gave me a confidence that he, he really did care about the recovery. And I, you guess said, my, three, like only three or four times I saw you, if that, like not many yeah. times. And I'd be like, can I come back? Well, you know, I think you're doing all right. <laughs> no, it was, it, but I think the point's really important because I guess I throw it to you guys. You know, for business, sounds bad. It's like, you know, you'd want to keep seeing your clients. And you know, you're obviously need to make uh, livings yourselves and have clients is important. And I think repeat clients is a big part of that. So I guess the challenge is how do you change that in, you know, that, I don't know how to kind of say it, but the driver. Yeah. How do you balance the ethics of trying to run a business and also trying to help patients? Dave, you I mean, want to say that one? That's a nice way of putting it, yeah. Um, it's, it's a tough one. Um, I think I think once you just lead with, with the patient's best interest in, in advance, you know, you lead with that, it almost doesn't become a question. I know that sounds um, a, bit, a bit throwaway, but the... <clears throat> once you think about the absolute best outcome for that patient, it sort of lays out mm. a, an appropriate treatment course in front of you. Um, it, it almost doesn't come into it if you're a mm. good practitioner. I, I'm sure there are those out there that are thinking about overheads as they're prescribing care or saying, come in next week. Um, I think there's no way to prove that outwardly to a patient until there comes that point when they say, cool, shall I see you next week? And you go, no, you, you don't need me, but go away. Um, it's quite a tough one. See, I'd say it doesn't come into it when you think appropriately. Um, mm. But that, that's quite a tough one to say, well, I'm perfect, so everyone else must be sure. as well. I, I think clients yeah. aren't stupid, and I, and, I, and, and I think people can tell. And also, yeah. mm. you, you, you have some of those, but you have also some that are so desperate, they will listen to everything. And I think you know, it's really important to have a responsibility to do what the right thing is. And I think actually, in my opinion anyway, by doing the right thing, you will get more business because you will, for me anyway, I always tell everybody about it and it's not because of any other reason that he helped me. So the business he'll get back from not seeing me as often, he'll get back, you know, from the good work that he does, the, yeah. the, how much that he does care. And that's why I always 
I'm sure some don't, as in every profession. But I always think if you do that, the right thing, it will come back twofold, threefold. Yeah. And I suppose I mean, just you know, for patients that are listening, and I suppose this is my hobby horse to, to those that might be investing in ineffective treatment over long periods of time and just you know, there isn't a number of sessions by which people respond with back pain, but you'll get a sense of whether or not you are just turning up for the same sort of treatment, which isn't, doesn't seem to be helping. Or if someone, if you've got a, you know, persistent back pain and that practitioner perhaps isn't taking a time to really understand what's going on in your life and the factors and your beliefs and, and your, your thoughts and making you feel more empowered and confident manage this then i would consider changing practitioners i think that the, the worst thing that i experience is patients that have seen practitioners of all sorts dozens and dozens of time for the same ineffective treatment and you know that, that's something for all of our professionals to kind of tidy up I, I, I totally agree and i think we spoke about it before on on a different episode there was a quote from another physio called david Poulter who says at 3 a.m when your patient wakes up in pain you better hope they have some self-management skills because they won't have manual therapy massage tape you know all the other things that you've used you better have taught them some self-management skills and I've, i really took that to heart and it's and i really hope that other people do as well that that is our role is to make these make patients and make people like paul more robust so when they hit their their, their leg on a shower a, bathroom door handle or whatever it was sorry that you, you hit your leg on you don't then your first thing isn't to call ollie and go i need you to put this back into place you go okay this hurts what what are the tools that ollie gave me to help manage it okay i'm going to keep active i'm going to keep moving i can take some painkillers i can use some ice i can use some heat i'm going to go to the gym i'm going to go for a run whatever it might be you've got those tools to to self-manage and that is our goal is as a as as clinicians is to guide patients that way to make the right decisions it's not to fix people and make them better it's to give them the tools to help them self-manage and help manage their their beliefs and their pain and their their recovery effectively themselves or, they, or they're having ongoing care for pain they don't actually have <laughs> that's the other yeah. thing you've got perfectly healthy people pain-free individuals attending clinics for treatment that's clinically not or in any kind of clinical reality isn't needed but yet you can explain treatments away but you can explain that the necessity for treatments through any you know you're a bit out of alignment you're a bit you've got no pain yet however if we don't address this now you know there's going to be a car crash later on so you better mm -hmm. come in for 10 sessions of, of manual therapy so that's just deplorable by yeah oh, it's just mm -hmm. embarrassing really <laughs> and I, it's not just physios and and you know i've also had that from p you know personal trainers yeah, said, oh, yeah it's we don't common. fix that yeah, yeah we don't fix that you're you're, you're I think the, 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 the PT industry, the physical trainer uh, uh, industry can often be kind of 10 years behind the physiotherapy um, uh, industry. So all the things that were being perpetuated 10, 15, 20 years ago now are coming out of the PT world and slowly being changed as well. So everyone's moving in the right direction, but obviously some things take a little bit longer, And uh, which is we're, <laughs> we're, get, we're getting there. <laughs> no, definitely. So I guess the, the, the last thing then I'd like to kind of kind of ask you about as well Ollie is for then anyone who's listening who might have that fear and so for people who are sat here now thinking well you know my 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 situation is very similar to Paul's and I've got pain and I I don't move because I think it's good for me what would you what would your advice be for them um you know to start this journey of you know helping understand my pain and you know, make myself more self-resilient you put something at the beginning of the podcast saying you're not providing medical advice. So obviously this isn't any, this isn't any clinical advice to, yeah. to anyone that's experiencing pain, but, but I mean, I suppose it, 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 assuming they were considering seeking help from a professional or they already are having help from a professional, I suppose I would seek out people that I don't know how they do this because really websites and the internet can portray clinicians any way that they want, but you'd really want to find a clinician maybe through, haven't you guys got a directory of clinicians that you trust? Yeah. Is that, was yeah. this like a secret way of me getting to promote that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, yeah. right into the trap, Ollie, right into the trap. Perfect. Walk right Head on over to the backpackpodcast.com and uh, check out our provider map. Yes. But you would hope that, you know, the, the professions being professions, physio, osteo, chiro, that there would be a, a consistent standard of, of management for back pain. And there isn't. I mean, there are guidelines which we should follow. There are ethical 
um, kind of codes to, to follow, but there's a real variation as Paul is, is witness and who you see. You've got one physio that's in coarsibility, an osteo might rub your tummy and the chiropractor will pull out some kind of thumping machine and they're, they're all professions, professional. So there's real diversity there and it's really confusing for patients. I suppose I would begin to start somewhere by finding a professional that had a more complex person-centered approach to, to pain and really wanted to find out about you and didn't really want you to come back for, for prolonged uh, periods of treatment. But how you find those professionals, it is a bit of potluck. It really is. It's not Google reviews. It's not going to the professional directories because there's no information there. Um, so I guess you guys, your directory is the only one out there as far as I know. I'm, I'm laughing, we're, we're, sorry. I just, we're, we're sorry right. I just want to say I'm laughing because I went to, I've done everything when it comes to treatment. I went to one where they just used to stick these electro things on me, walk out the door and leave me there. <laughs> For God knows how long, take them off. See you next week. What? <laughs> Literally. <laughs> I mean, just that's fantastic. So it's fantastically confusing. Awful. It's totally confusing. But but practitioners that it seems like they're using kind of sensible research evidence to to inform their their management because we shouldn't be doing that kind of stuff anymore. But sadly, many people still mm. are. Mm. I think the big thing has got to be: Are you feeling better when you exit as well? Um, uh, it, if you're if you're leaving that practitioner's office uh, feeling positive, both physically, I feel better, and mentally, you know, I feel better about my condition, about what I thought was my predicament, but I understand is my learning curve. That's the practitioner for you, and I know that means you've got to go and kiss a few frogs sometimes before you find the prince, but um, or princess hashtag feminism. Um, I think that you if you leave there in positive in all lights without questions, feeling like you were heard, that's the one for you. I think, I think the, the general feeling better was difficult because if you, if you stood outside a chiropractic physio, a poor clinic of that sort and surveyed patients after 25,000 adjustments and 25,000 pounds, they would say, I feel absolutely great. I feel aligned now. I feel straighter. Problem is that washes out after about 10 minutes. And so but you're, you're, you're right, David. It's also about how empowered they feel, how much they've been listened to, and mm. the fact that their, their next appointment isn't actually for three months rather than three days. It's probably a good proxy by which to go by. Yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. Okay. Well, guys, I think okay. that brings us to the end. I'm conscious of, uh, conscious of time. I know that a few of you have to, have to head off now. So thank you ever so much for, for talking to us, Ollie and Paul. Thanks so much for sharing your story. I know that it's, uh, you know, talking about, you know, an injury which you had a while ago, you know, is, is never that nice to talk about. So, I really appreciate you, you know, taking the time to to chat to us and to, you know, spread the message of positivity. And it's a, a positive journey that you can, you know, that people who are in pain you know, can recover. And this doesn't have to be for life and it shouldn't be for life. And those beliefs that this back pain is once you've got it, you know, you're always going to have a bad back is it, nonsense, effectively. I totally agree. Unfortunately, it comes with hard work. There's no quick fix. Good. And I think that's a perfect note to perfect yeah. note to end on. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, chat. Thanks, Thanks for joining guys. us. I will yeah, uh, thank you. bid you all farewell. Thank you. Over and out. Cheers, guys. Mm-hmm.